This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am joined this week by special guest back here at Saturday to Sunday, Mr. Mike Taglier from Fantasy Pros. Mike, how are you doing, my friend? Doing fantastic, man. Just happy to be talking to you again. It's like we only talk a couple times a year because obviously the college scene and that's what we get into, but uh, I always appreciate talking to you, buddy. Absolutely. So I was privileged to be on your guys' show around the Combine, uh, and now you're back here at Saturday Sunday. So the draft is you know, about a, a month now in the rearview mirror, but I still think there's a lot to talk about, break down, and get in different people's opinions, because I know recently we've had on Matt Williamson. Uh, you know, We have an episode planned coming up with Matt Wallman. Everyone's got different takes, so it's just great to pick the minds of so many great people in the fantasy and draft community and industry. So I'm looking forward to talking with you. So let's get right into it, and let's start at the running back position because I do think this is an interesting question for just about any analyst out there. You know, we had these five running backs that for the most part were the consensus going into the draft, but I don't think there was much order consistency before the draft. And now post-draft, we hear it Saturday, Sunday, they've been saying it's kind of interesting. They all kind of have a roommate right now in their depth chart. But, you know, some of them, that's probably only for the short term, maybe others a, sl- a, a tad longer. But kind of just take us through your perspective in terms of that, that, that group of five running backs, you know, for, for you, is it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor, a clear tier? Because a lot of people see it like that in terms of dynasty. But then I know other people, like myself included and others, think J.K. Dobbins long-term is right in that group as well. So how do you kind of see that, that top five running back group? So I had uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as my number one running back before the draft. Uh, I, I just felt like he fits today's NFL in terms of what you want. When I watched him on film, I saw a lot of uh, Ray Rice, Doug Martin type running back, uh, a guy that's, yeah, he's sure he's smaller in stature, but at the same time, he's he's very difficult to tackle. He's at the low center of gravity. He bounces off tacklers. He doesn't go out of bounds. Uh, he's an excellent receiver out of the backfield. If you needed him to catch 80 balls, you know, like Ray Rice did back with Baltimore, he can do that. Uh, so when you see him land with, with a team like the Chiefs and Andy Reid, uh, a lot of people are talking about Damian Williams. I'm not necessarily worried about someone like him. Uh, you know, they were giving 31-year-old Deshaun McCoy double-digit carries per game with Damian Williams there. I am not worried about this at all. If you watch Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's he's a difference maker. And uh, that was that was like the bottom line in my scouting report on him was that you, people talk about running backs don't matter. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire absolutely matters. And Joe Burrow had already stated that he's the best athlete he's ever played with, uh, one of the best players that he's ever played with, that he's just fantastic, um, going play alongside Patrick Mahomes. And the reason I have him above Jonathan Taylor in my dynasty rankings, because Taylor landed in a, a, a pristine spot as well. Uh, but the reason I have him there is because he was drafted at the end of the first round. He has a fifth-year option. Uh, as we know, in dynasty, we kind of have to adapt as these things take place. And running backs today are just not getting second contracts. And if they do, it's in, in somewhat of a timeshare because a lot of teams are moving on to those younger running backs. Uh, even Todd Gurley, I mean, playing on a one-year deal. If you were to say this, you know, five years ago when Todd Gurley came into the league, you, you, they would have been like, you're nuts. But that's where we're at today. And we, we find guys like Devonta Freeman without jobs. So getting that fifth-year option in a first-round pick is massive, especially when you're tied to Patrick Mahomes and that Andy Reid offense. Jonathan Taylor, 
I, I, the player, I think that he was better suited for the NFL probably 10 years ago, but he's still going to be very good. And it just so happens he landed behind a dominant offensive line, probably the best in football now that Travis Frederick retired uh, from the Cowboys. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I like Taylor a lot. The, the fact that he doesn't catch passes is, is, well, not that he doesn't, but that he's not going to be asked to catch a whole lot of passes in that offense. That's the part that has me dialing him back just a little bit. Still a stud. That's my one and two tier. As for Dobbins, I feel like that running backs, you want them right when they come into the NFL because that's the time that they're used, they're abused, and they're thrown away. Uh, like it, It's unfair to the position because they're not being paid a whole lot uh, com- in comparison to every other position. And we're going to miss the first year of that. You know, J.K. Dobbins is playing behind Mark Ingram, and you're, he's essentially a handcuff. And it's not to say that that can't pan out, but we're talking about we don't play with injuries in mind and saying you're, gonna, you're not going to predict a Mark Ingram injury. So he's going to be the clear cut number two. Uh, Gus Edwards was also held on the roster. They, they put a restricted tender on him. Justice Hill was a guy that they drafted. I think it was the third round last year. So it's, you look at the roster and you're like, okay, this year is not going to work out. Mark Ingram is under contract for actually two seasons. I think they're going to get out of it after this year. So Dobbins will go there, but you're missing out on one of the most important years of his, his young career. And, you know, I, I believe his value will drop as this year goes on, because I, I think that, you know, in dynasty, the guys that draft running backs in their first round, they want production right away. And you're not going to get it with Dobbins uh, as long as Mark Ingram is healthy. So that's, I think that Edwards Hilaire and Taylor are my clear cut top tier. And I wouldn't even consider DeAndre Swift or JK Dobbins in that picture. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a good point and you're the first person to really emphasize, you know, we've talked so much that all of these five running backs have good draft capital, but you mentioned the, because Clyde Edwards Hilaire was taken in the last pick of that first round, you know, for the most part, most likely, obviously it could be that they don't pick up that fifth year option, you know, if something goes sideways, but he is kind of like locked into that KC offense for the, for that, those five years, most likely, which could be a little bit for someone that maybe I do agree with you that I have Clyde Edwards Hilaire easily as my number one, you know, I'm a little bit more torn on my number two and three. I have Jonathan Taylor right now, but I think it's a little bit closer uh, than you. And you brought it up because of that receiving capability or lack thereof of Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. To me, he he's a little bit like Leonard Fournette, where if they ask him to, could he have a, a, a season like Leonard Fournette just had? But I think, you know, I think most people expect Leonard Fournette's numbers to to get cut significantly this year you know in Jacksonville I think that'll be kind of Jonathan Taylor I don't think he'll ever be asked I love the scheme fit for J.K. Dobbins but you make a great point that you know this whole first year he's probably you know like a running back four you know and and a wait and see he's not a guy that you can put in as a starter or a flex guy unless you're playing really deep leagues and then you know maybe you'll take a chance and hope that you know he sees you know enough work and maybe his role grows as the year goes on but I think I think you bring up some really good points there the Cam Makers DeAndre Swift thing is is the next thing you mentioned DeAndre Swift a second ago. Do you have him clearly ahead of Cam Makers? Because for me, DeAndre Swift was my number running number one running back before the draft. But to me, he went to the worst of the situations and the best compliment I think you know who's still young and carry on Johnson who I think is a, is a good running back just hasn't been able to stay healthy and they never really seem to want to give him you know a big workload. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I liked Swift an awful lot and I liked him because he was well-rounded. It's not because I don't think he's elite at anything. I just think he's very good at everything. And it's, it's weird to have him and carry on Johnson in the same backfield. I really felt like Jonathan Taylor would have been a better match for Detroit in terms of what they want to do. Uh, but they decided to go with Swift and he, I mean, Swift is a solid running back, obviously. Uh, but 
I, I hate the landing spot. I don't even know if I see him getting 200 carries in year one. Uh, if Carryon Johnson stays healthy, I think that's going to be a 1A, 1B situation where we could see like 180, 140 carries split between those two. And, you know, they're going to produce in fantasy, but it's you're not going to get that elite potential because they're also not tied to a very high scoring offense. I know, you know, with Stafford there, he had a great year and all that, but that's a very small sample size. And what we have with Matt Patricia uh, there as the head coach. So, I mean, Swift, I do like the player, hate the landing spot. Cam Akers, I don't get it. Uh, I did a piece uh, on Fantasy Pros recently that I, I went through and I looked at ADP, startup ADP, and uh, Cam Akers is being drafted. I think it was the number, I think it was the number 13, number 14 overall running back in startup drafts, which is just crazy to me. Like, I don't. I don't think he belongs in the conversation with those guys. Like most of the time I, I get it and I can make an argument for almost any player because I'm just, I'm too level headed not to, but people are assuming that he's going to walk in and be Todd Gurley. Don't forget that they traded up in the third round last year to grab Darrell Henderson. Darrell Henderson is a solid player. Is he going to be a workhorse back? I don't think so. And I think that that's why they ended up drafting Cam Akers. They've already said they want this to be a timeshare. Every single time Sean McVay talks about it, he brings up Malcolm Brown too. So clearly he's going to have a role in this offense. Cam Akers was a guy that I thought was fine. And everybody talked about, oh, he's so much better than people think. You know, he played behind a terrible offensive line. Well, he's going to play behind another terrible offensive line. Did you guys watch the Rams last year? They legitimately were a bottom five offensive line in the NFL. And now you're talking about them mixing and matching parts. I think it's possible that Henderson might be the better all around player while Akers is the better, you know, first and second down goal line back. Uh, but this is going to be much more of a timeshare than people think. And I, again, I don't, I'm not positive that he's the most talented player on that team. And knowing that they're like flat out saying this is a timeshare. I'm I'm buying that. Why would they ha- why would they have any reason not to say that? You know what I mean? So I think you could be looking at a, you know, 12 to 14 touch roll uh for much of the first year and if he gets outplayed then you're you're going to feel really bad if you invest that much in a running back in a startup and he just doesn't pan out. Cuz some of these guys as much as we like these running backs, some of them are not going to pan out. And Akers is one of those guys that scares me. Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that you brought up Swift. And, you know, the one thing about Swift is we don't even know, like, if, if Detroit, that, that organization, that coaching staff, they're not, there's no stability there. So right. they, you know, they've drafted Carry on Jan- Johnson. They've drafted DeAndre Swift. But what if there's a whole new regime in there in Detroit next year? You know, then the, the people coming in have no allegiance to either of these guys. You know, so what are, what if they think Carry on Johnson's better or outplays them next year? Like, there, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty there with that line backfield it's not a high-powered offense or a great quarterback or you know a great offensive line like some of these other rookies and then on the cam Akers, i'm a, i'm a big acres fan i like cam Akers, the talent but no team more in the league understands the value of the offensive line i mean there once upon a time you know before ty Gurley was a fantasy superstar people thought he was a bust and it was a hundred percent correlated to the fact that their offensive line was so poor so now instead of upgrading the offensive line and giving darrell henderson and or even malcolm brown a more realistic chance they draft another running back so now i i think i think it's going to be acres is you know a was a little bit higher draft capital. Again, they they mm-hmm. made it a point to go get him when they didn't want to upgrade. So I think he's going to get the opportunity. And I personally like his game a little bit more than Henderson. But I also thought Henderson fit the scheme very well last year. You know, wide open rushing lanes, very similar to what he saw in college. He has that acceleration and burst. So 
they're going to form some type of one-two duo. I think Akers might get a little bit more of it, but we also didn't get a chance to see much from Henderson last year. So it kind of goes back to people get down with their first round rookie picks or whatever, early second round. If some people got Henderson there, probably not, but you know, people get kind of down on it. And because he did nothing last year, you know, people kind of forget how excited they were before the season started last year under L Henderson and his long-term upside. So I think there's a lot more uncertainty, you know, with those two situations and obviously the first two uh, and I'm buying in Dobbins because the fit with Lamar Jackson and the RPOs, I think it's going to be something that, you know, we just got to wait it out a year, but I do think it could reap big benefits down the line. One guy I'm not going to own on any one of my dynasty teams, Mike, is Keyshawn Vaughn. Is that Mm going to be a mistake? Because there are a lot of people that are very high on him. And speaking of you had some doubts and questions about who might be the best back on the Rams backfield, I still have that same conversation with the Bucks backfield, and it seems that the consensus is just pushing Ronald Jones away and pushing Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, clearly ahead of him. And I'm not sure on a talent base or an opportunity base that I buy into that. I have Ronald Jones higher in my rankings than I do Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm not uh, third round picks are not guys that are guaranteed anything. They're not. And all off season, we heard, we didn't hear Bruce Arians talking about, you know, we, we want to bring in some competition for Ronald Jones. They kept saying he was the guy. And I don't think anybody really bought it. I thought that they might bring in someone like Devonta Freeman uh, in free agency. It kind of made sense. Uh, but at the same time, they didn't. And I, I there was, there was a, on a radio show, Bruce Arians' kid uh, was on a radio show talking about their draft and saying that in the second round, they were looking for a running back and they wanted to take one of the top tier guys, but none of the guys that they absolutely loved on the board anymore so they went in a different direction and then the third round they grabbed Vaughn so he was kind of like a scrap like one of the scraps that was remaining that was like okay this is the competition to Ronald Jones and is it is it to say that Ronald Jones can't lose that job no I think it's a very fluid situation and if you draft Ronald Jones because he's the starter you kind of have to I don't I don't, I don't want to say you want to handcuff him with Vaughn but you want to be prepared to, to potentially lose that starter because I think it could happen at any point if there's like a fumble or something like that but it could very well be a Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones situation where each of them are going to get right around 10 to 12 carries a game. And it's going to be completely un, like unreliable for fantasy football. I, I don't think I actually think again, I think that Ronald Jones is the more talented player than Keyshawn Vaughn. I think everybody wants to get that shiny new toy. I wasn't a big Keyshawn Vaughn fan uh, coming out of school. I thought he was fine, but I don't think there's anything special there that you have to worry about. So, no, based on his price and where it's at, I'm not going to have any of him. And then in redraft, I'm going to have Ronald Jones because right now he's being drafted, I think, as the RB 42 or something like that. So I'll take the chance to get a starting running back that late. Yeah, and one thing I want to add to is that somewhere along the way, it's kind of became like an idea that Keyshawn Vaughn is this good pass catching back, and I'm not sure where it started. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been watching these guys for Saturday Sunday for years, and especially Vaughn because many people thought he might come out, you know, after his junior year. I mean, this is a guy that. 16, 9, 13, and then this year with with a really horrific quarterback play, he caught 28 passes, but they were 28 passes of like the, you know, check down variety because the quarterback, you know, is in complete panic mode. So if he would have came out before, you know, before the senior year, it was 16, 9, and 13. This is not a guy who is a definitive, significantly better pass catcher than Ronald Jones. I would say they're collegiately, they're pretty similar in terms of their pass catching acumen. So it's not like he's this guy that, you know, Tom Brady's going to look at and he's going to become like his James White or something. It's just Correct. for some reason, people are, are looking at him and be like, well, he's going to be the guy that's definitively on the field on third down. 
my guess is whoever's a better blocker between the two is probably going to be who's on the field on third down. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say I know definitively who's going to be the better pass protector between Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. But it's not like he's going to add this great value in terms of his pass catching ability. And I think the Bucks are the, the prototypical team set up if Brady stays two years to invest a high pick either in round one or round two next year on a running back to try to get over the hill or a free agent that maybe, you know, is more of a veteran type that they want to go all in for next year. I could totally see that being added to the mix next year. Uh, and then all that dynasty stock that people have in Keyshawn Vaughn is going to go by the wayside really fast. So, yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. Any Before we transition to the wide receivers, I'll open the floor. Is there any other running backs that you are are – whether it's their value, their scheme fit, their, you know, where they landed, opportunity, short-term, long-term, or just when you watch them on film that you're kind of excited about from that next wave of guys, whether it's A.J. Dillon, Anthony McFarlane, you know, Zach Moss, you know, Antonio Gibson, if you want to say running back there, Darrington Evans, any of those other guys really pique your interest? You want to talk about one or two of them? I like Zach Moss. Um, I like the player in Zach Moss, but I, I do want to touch on, for someone out there, if you're, if you're listening and you're, you still think that Keyshawn Vaughn should be the starter and this and that, Don't forget this. Bruce Arians back in Arizona, they drafted David Johnson in the third round. David Johnson played lights out, like legitimately was one of the the most efficient players in all of football. He got under 150 touches that year. Uh, That was his rookie season, and he wasn't playing behind a stud or anything like that. It was just Bruce Arians. I think he's hesitant to trust rookies. So I think, and it was a third round pick. And again, David Johnson was more than efficient enough to be on the field. uh, So just keep that in mind. But as for, um, I, I, I like Zach Moss a lot during the pre-draft process. He reminds me of Kareem Hunt uh, in a lot of ways. And the way that Buffalo is going to use him. Now, granted, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle there in Buffalo for both him and Devin Singletary to carry value because Singletary is going to get touches, but he's not going to get the touches when they matter most, uh, which is on the goal line. He had just two carries inside the five-yard line all last year, which ranked third behind both Josh Allen and Frank Gore. Uh, their, Their general manager already came out and said Zach Moss is going to fill that role that they had Frank Gore doing. And a lot of people are remembering towards the end of last year when uh, when Singletary started getting those 16, 18 touches per game. But don't forget what happened at the beginning of the season when Frank Gore was fresh. Those two were splitting a whole lot of work. Uh, Zach Moss, they would not draft him in the third round that they didn't feel like he was going to contribute to a team that that really should win that division. Uh, so I do like Zach Moss. I, from a fantasy standpoint, you're probably going to need a Singletary injury to confidently rely on him. Uh, but if something did happen to Singletary and he did miss time, I believe Zach Moss walks in and he's a top 15 play every week. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I've been very reserved on Singletary. I wasn't as high as him uh, last year. I know a lot of people were. And then even during the year, I kept reserving, getting excited for him because I thought they were going to invest either in a free agent or another top three round pick. And that's exactly what they did. And I'm not as high on Zach Moss, the player, as you are, but you can't argue that he fits their physical running type of capability that they want. Josh Allen steals goal line touchdowns. So I think Singletary's value is capped by this. And I think Moss actually even fits maybe more of what Buffalo in terms of what they want out of their running back. So I think, I think, I think both of their values are probably pretty capped. And I think people were really hoping for that next step from Singletary. And I think he's the one that suffers the most from it so let's transition to the wide receivers the wide receivers are are unique because it was obviously a very deep class and they didn't go in pristine landing spots in terms of like some depth charts like maybe some of the running backs did where do you stand on the lamb judy you know who do you value more for dynasty do you think that's the player who also is going to have the most immediate impact are they your clear one two for dynasty as well 
Well, this is crazy, right? Like I've been working on projections this week. Like this is where projection life starts for me. And it's going to go on over the next month, kind of finessing the prog- the process of it. And I-, I knew I didn't like the rookie wide receiver landing spots. But then when I looked even closer, <laughs> it's like, look at this. So uh, the worst teams in the NFL in terms of like how often they targeted their wide receivers. Minnesota was second worst. Oakland was third worst. Uh, San Francisco fourth. Philadelphia fifth. Denver sixth. And it's like, these are the guys that took first round receivers and I get it. Okay. They need wide receivers to fill those targets. But at the same time, you have to find spots in the roster where you're going to take targets away. And it's difficult to do that in a rookie year. So you're almost kind of drafting on talent when it comes to those guys at the top. Uh, Ruggs is probably going to have the most opportunity right out of the gate uh, just because Oakland is wide open in terms of, uh, you know, targets available at the wide receiver position. Um, he also fits what Derek Carr does. You know, a lot of people think that you're going to see that all you're going to see is rug stretch the field as a four, two speed guy. He's not that he's really, I mean, actually Jerry Judy had like three or four more times, four more, uh, plays of 20 plus yards, like on deep balls. He's more of a screen type guy. You get the ball in his hands. Uh, you throw a, a slant and you hope he takes it to the house. That's the type of receiver that he is. And that matches what Derek Carr does extremely well in terms of like high accuracy, very, very low a dot targets. So I think him right out of the gate, he's going to look good, but long-term I'm still, I'm Jerry Judy. I'm team Judy because he's a, I was a huge Calvin Ridley fan. I was a huge Julio Jones fan. I mean, who wasn't a fan of Julio, but people criticize Calvin Ridley. I love Damari Cooper. Like these are all Alabama guys, which is really weird uh, because I'm not like, I have no tie to Alabama, but these, these guys are route runners. And Jerry Judy is probably one of the, my favorite wide receivers to come out uh, in the last 10 years. Like the, the kid is uber talented. He could play the possession role. He could play the field stretching role. He could play that screen role. He could do whatever you want. He could line up in the slot. He could play perimeter. He's still going to get separation because the kid legitimately just stops on a dime. Um, but he's a bigger Calvin Ridley, essentially, is how I view him. And, uh, you know, but going to Denver to compete with Cortland Sutton, not a great landing spot, right? Those two are going to be 1A, 1B. Um, it's not great. And it, it almost caps a target number for him. Uh, then you look at CeeDee Lamb. Goes to a high volume, like Dallas targeted their wide receivers. They ranked number eight in the NFL last year in terms of targeting their wide receivers. But he's competing with Amari freaking Cooper, who already wasn't getting enough targets in that offense. And Michael Gallup, who people are just dropping off their, like, literally off the face of the earth because CeeDee Lamb is so good. Well, we've already seen Gallup do it in the NFL. Like, legitimately, he's already done it. He was a top 24 wide receiver in fantasy last year, despite missing some time. That's just a difficult one for me to to talk about just because like I don't need I to try and project that offense, I could see it going a lot of different ways, but they're not going to go away from Amari Cooper, the guy they paid a hundred million dollars to. And again, Lamb played in a very easy offense. Like let's not pretend that he faced top tier competition. It might be a bigger learning curve for him. Um, love Justin Jefferson, but again, you're talking about Minnesota, a team that I don't think anybody's gonna project him to throw the ball five hundred times. Stefan Diggs last year. With Adam Thielen out essentially half the year, Stephon Diggs wound up with 92 targets in that offense. That's not exciting. I've heard people saying that Justin Jefferson is a lock to have 100 targets this year, and I'm like, no, he's not. I, I, I no, he's not. That, that's just too low volume. Unless that that Minnesota defense legitimately falls off the face of the earth, which is possible, I guess. But um, so I really. I, I didn't like a lot of the landing spots, really, uh, in terms of these receivers. It was almost worst-case scenario for a lot of the guys where I thought the Raiders should have went with Jerry Judy. I thought that Ruggs would fit better alongside Cortland Sutton. It, they're, they're, they're completely opposite wide receivers. Um, you know, so much. I mean, the Saints, I wanted to get Justin Jefferson so bad. But, uh, but at the same time, he would have been competing with Michael Thomas. So uh, the wide receivers, if you're drafting talent, it's got to be Judy. I, I, 
but it, it just sucks, man. But that's why running backs are going at the top of these drafts. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the landing spots were not optimal for sure. I'm right there with you. I've, Judy was at the top for me since last summer. I didn't come off of that. And it's all because of the route running. And I'm a huge, you know, all the guys that you just talked about. I think Calvin Ridley right now is still one of the best dynasty buys. People are still under the impression that he hasn't had a good start to his career. And I think it's been great. And the arrow is yes. still pointing up on that. So I'm not sure why people are, aren't as high on him as they should be. You know, it it will be interesting. So much of Jerry Judy, you know, Corlin Sutton, you know, who has outperformed what I expected of him, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, you know, so much of that Broncos offense is going to be hindered or or success based on the development of Drew Locke. You know, so it's going to be really fascinating. They've given him every opportunity now with Sutton and Judy and a guy like KJ Hamler who can do things after the catch or get vertical. You know, Noah Fan in the first round last year. They even went out and got his tight end, who I know in the past we've Albert talked o. about, Albert Okoebanam. You know, so they have all these guys. I still like Judy to the best, and, and I'm drafting him ahead of Lamb because I'm, I'm sticking to, you know, the film-based analysis of these guys. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be interesting, though, with Lamb because they did lose a lot of targets with, with mm-hmm. Randall Cobb and Jason Witten. And, and you're right. He didn't get asked to play against these top-notch defenses in the Big 12, but you almost wonder with the success of Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, does he walk into a, a situation where he's mostly going to see a lot – mostly play inside in the slot in year one and see potentially the third best corner, you know, on opposing teams and of those guys playing with the most established quarterback in Dak Prescott. So I think, I think I wouldn't be stunned if CD lamb this year, actually, even as the third guy out produces Jerry Judy, but long-term I'm still buying uh, Jerry Judy more than that. I agree with what you said about Justin Jefferson. And honestly, I know what he tested at the combine, but I mean, we, we've already talked about it. I mean, I remember right after the draft, like, you know, we or on Twitter, we talked about, you know, would people overreact to Clyde Edwards Hilaire's 40 time? And I know we had this conversation yep. And, yep. and we thought it was going to impact. And maybe sometimes it doesn't impact as much as we think, as much as we make it out on, you know, on, on Twitter and, you know, talking about these guys for the drafts and fantasy and stuff like that. You know, and I think, you know, Jefferson's best in the slot, but that's also where Adam Thielen's at his best. So, but that's the crazy part. Not a lot of people know this is like, it's something I study for doing the primer every week is that Adam Thielen, he wasn't playing in the slot last year. Like we, we don't know what happened in the offense, but they just stopped playing in there. And it, it was really stupid in my opinion. Like you, you move those guys around the field, like they have their most success there, but they stopped putting him there. And it was, it was aggravating. So I, I really don't even know how they're going to handle Justin Jefferson, even though he's a, he's a, he's an awesome big slot receiver, but but yeah, I think Thielen, I want to say it was only like 22% of his routes were from the slot wow. uh, last year. Interesting. And and then you mentioned Henry Ruggs. And, you know, listen, I haven't heard people's take. Like, I agree with you that I think Ruggs has been pigeonholed by some people as just a vertical threat. And I think that's that's doing disservice to his game. I think he could do a lot more than that. It is interesting that, like, they might – I looked at the pick initially and thought to myself, you know, you're – you're taking away a little bit of what Ruggs brings to the table because that four, two speed and what is car willing to push the ball. And then one, one train of thought is almost like Alex Smith was eventually forced to throw more vertically with Tyree kill. So maybe car would be willing to take more chances vertically with a guy like Ruggs. But then on the flip side, if you let Carr stay in his comfort zone, maybe they looked at Ruggs as the guy who could maybe make the most big plays after the catch, kind of like what you were talking about. So it's an interesting dynamic. Exactly. I trust Gruden to 
open up opportunities. I think it was on one of your most recent podcasts. You were talking about Henry Ruggs and how he's just way too low in terms of even mm-hmm. redraft rankings because they're going to find ways to get him the ball and, and they're going to utilize him in year one. And I totally agree with that as well. Any, there's so many other wide receivers, so we won't go through them all. Any, any quick thoughts on, you know, T. Higgins was another one that he didn't partake at the combine, but then he got his pro day in before everything happened in our country. I know you're a big film guy as we are here. I'm a believer in T. Higgins. I, I know there's been some big wide receivers that have came to the league and they've had trouble separating and stuff like that. But I still think for every one of guys who like is Laquan Treadwell, there's still guys like Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson who don't run blazing fast 40s, who still have successful careers. Where are you on T. Higgins, especially since he's connected with a young quarterback like Joe Burrow or any other quick thoughts on some of those other top guys, whether it's Pittman or Ayuk or Denzel Mims, Chenault. I think those are that next group probably altogether. Yeah, being tied to Burrow is a really good thing. Obviously, uh, AJ Green, you know, one he's going to probably play one more year uh, in Cincy. I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him. To be honest, I feel like Green Bay is a team that should be calling them to say what what, what would it take to get AJ Green over here. Uh, obviously, they've ticked off Aaron Rodgers enough, and uh, he's still going to be there for another three years. So they have to they have to make right somehow. Uh, whereas the Bengals are not a team that's going to compete in 2020. I think we all know that. Uh, but T. Higgins is a guy. The reason I like him quite a bit when watching him, he makes it look easy. And it, it, that's the thing is like, there's guys that you watch, they grind for everything, you know, and, and like everything seems like it's a chore, but even if they come down with it, you're, it's a little bit nerve wracking with him. He just makes it look simple. The game just comes to him. He's not elite talent in terms of like, you know, obviously his speed is not way up there, but he does get open. Uh, I, I think it's perfect that he landed with someone like AJ Green because that's who kind of Green was when he came into the NFL. He was not a complete route runner. He wasn't the the guy that you're going to get on a screen very often. You're not going to get separation on curl routes. But he worked with Calvin Johnson in the offseason. And then AJ Green just became like better and better and better. Whereas T. Higgins, he should take all advantage that he can of the opportunity he has to learn from someone like AJ Green this year. Uh, so I love the landing spot with Burrow. I think Burrow is a real deal. I think he's going to be a stud. Tyler Boyd's being undervalued continually. Um, but the other guys, that that other tier, Michael Pittman uh, has a big opportunity. Uh, he's going to walk in as the X receiver in that Colts offense. So I'm curious to see how he does with it. Um, I'm, I don't think that he's like a locked in stud. But like the guys that I'm look that I really can't wait to see are guys that might take a year or two to materialize. And I'm talking about like Quintez Cephas. Love that kid. Um, like he had some off the field question marks that were cleared up, but it still, I think, affected his draft position. Um, but it, Wisconsin didn't have a chance to shine. Uh, same thing with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Those are two of my favorite guys to get in like third round of rookie drafts. Uh, Cephas, you know, uh, went to the Lions, who, by the way, Marvin Jones, last year of his deal, aging, he's going to be moving on. Danny Amendola, one more year on his deal, he's moving on. This team is going to have a new coach uh, coming in 2021. I'm, I'm confident in saying that maybe during 2020. Uh, but Cephas is a guy that I, I like quite a bit. Uh, I feel like he's the perfect complement to Kenny Galladay. Uh, so you have that in Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, whatever happens with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry coming off a hip surgery, but being tied to Baker Mayfield, who had a terrible year, year last year. He, we get it. It was bad. Uh, he still threw for seven yards per attempt, uh, on, with, with an offense that legitimately did not they didn't adjust. Freddie Kitchens was terrible. It was, it was, it was gr- anybody that watches games and you know what's happening. It was gross. It was just disgusting to watch that guy coach a team and not change anything. Uh, but you know, those are my guys later in the draft. Whereas the other guys, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't want to say I feel strongly about any of those guys. Like if we had more time to go through them individually, I would talk about the pros and cons. Uh, but 
I think that it, it kind of just ha- wherever you fall in rookie drafts, that's who you're going to kind of get. You know what I mean? In that tier. Whereas like, again, the guys like Cephas and Donovan Peoples Jones, I'm willing to reach just a little bit to get him on my squad. Yeah, I think you're right. Those that group of wide receivers there is going to make up a lot of the second round of most rookie drafts. And if to each their own, it's going to be slightly different rankings. But for the most part, you know, some people like Mims more than Ayuk, some other way around, some like Chenault and, you know, and see what he could do. And, you know, so I, I think you're right. I love the fact that you brought up Quintus Cephas. I know we talked about him when I was on your podcast, you know, right around the combine as well. And you bring up a great point about Marvin Jones. And let's be honest, if the season goes, you know, south for Detroit, Marvin Jones could be a prime trade candidate during the season because he could help a, a team, a contending team, you know, and, and it's still, you know, not that old. You know, we saw what Mohamed Sanu, you know, was trade for last year, which was an over overpay for sure. But who's to say a team who's in need of a wide receiver wouldn't trade a third round pick or a fourth round pick for Marvin Jones, who's still a pretty solid player. And there might even be an opportunity late in this year for a guy like Quintus Cephas to develop. I, I think he can play inside or outside. I like him as a big slot, maybe best, but I think he could play outside as well and Donovan Peoples-Jones I thought he was going to be a top 100 pick so I thought he was going to go at the back end of round three I liked him more than Antonio Gandy-Golden and a bunch of guys who went on day three and there's not much there besides OBJ and Landry so it's not like he's buried on the depth chart there's guys that he could easily climb over and if anybody watched Michigan football over the last couple years their quarterback and offense so did not do anything to help <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like if you just take like hypothetically, if Donovan Peoples-Jones was just happened to be an LSU wide receiver, think think about how different the narrative would be on Donovan Peoples-Jones. Think about how different, yeah, think about how different his college production would have been. You know, so that's sometimes all it takes. So it's gonna be interesting. I hope that kid gets an opportunity there in Cleveland because I do like him as well. So what we'll do here to round out the show, Mike, is not a lot to discuss at the quarterback and tight end situation. So I'll pose two questions like this, and then you could you could take them to round out the show. Burrow and Tua, do you see a significant gap between them and Dynasty? And if so, is it exclusively because of the health concerns about Tua, or is there more to it? And then if you were going to pick a tight end, and I would say I don't think anyone's going in the top two rounds of Dynasty rookie drafts. Is there one or two tight ends that intrigue you the most? Is it, you know, Asiasi in New England, Cole Komet in Chicago? I, you know, I know you follow them closely, you know, your take on them, or maybe it's, you know, Trapman down the line and you're just thinking long term. Yeah. Uh, so as for quarterbacks, I, I have a, a gap between Burrow and, T- uh, and Tua uh, just because, you know, health concerns are a real thing with Tua. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he went to the best scenario. Uh, that offensive line needs a lot of work in Miami and it might take some time for him to materialize. So I think that if you really want Tua, you're, you'll be able to get him cheaper after a year, maybe, uh, because that team is in rebuild mode. They need to add pieces to that offensive line because he's lost a lot of mobility with these injuries adding up. Whereas Burrow, a guy, I mean, since he has a lot of high price pieces on that offensive line, if they come together, if Billy Price actually starts playing like, you know, the, the, the guy they drafted him to be, they're getting Jonah Williams back this week, this year. So, I mean, there's things to like about that, but Burrow, he operates so calm. And that's the reason I like him so much uh, is because like he he's poised. And that's something you don't see in rookie quarterbacks all that often. It's, it's why I'm worried about guys like Justin Herbert. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be very good behind the offensive line there in LA. Uh, but Burrow, playing with Zach Taylor, an offensive-minded head coach that he really didn't get a fair shake in his rookie year. Now, granted, obviously it was bad enough to where they got the number one overall pick, but this is where it's it's now. Like the, He has to show big improvement, and I think Burrow's good enough to do that. With this offense, A.J. Green back there, and obviously, again, that offensive line getting healthy. So um, 
I love the Bengals, actually. I think that they're one of the, the underrated offenses going into 2020 redraft leagues. Uh, I think it's your opportunity to buy low in Dynasty on guys like Tyler Boyd if you want to. Um, but yeah, and then as for tight ends, Cole Komet. So here's the deal with him. I, I, so I'm a Bears fan. Um, I did not want them to draft Cole Komet. And it's not it's not because he's not a fine player. Because when I, when I watched him, when I scouted him, he reminds me of like a Jason Witten. Like a guy that just, he's not going to wow me with anything, but he somehow just gets open. Like he's a smart football player. He blocks well. He's, he was probably the most well-rounded tight end in this class. Uh, but the, but basically the Bears have like 20 tight ends in their roster. And I just, I felt like that the offensive line was a bigger concern for them. But Komet is somebody that it doesn't matter if it's Matt Nagy, the coach. It doesn't matter if they hire someone else. It doesn't matter. He's going to be a guy that's going to make a lot of coaches happy because he does what you ask him to do, and he's going to get open because he's a smart football player. He might be playing with a, a top-tier quarterback because, again, if Trubisky's bad, if Foles is bad, they're going to draft a quarterback next year, and you might have yourself a better that's the th- That's the stuff that you kind of have to think about with some of these guys is saying, all right, who plays in Jacksonville? DJ Chark, is he a trade target because he is being valued as a wide receiver three? What if they get Trevor Lawrence, you know, in next year's draft? Like all of a sudden you're going to look at him a lot differently and his stock's going to go through the roof. So that's the the stuff you kind of have to look at. Asi Asi was interesting. I just don't know what's happening with New England, the quarterback situation there, because they're not a team. People have brought this up to me. Literally, I was on a Vegas radio station, uh, ESPN radio. They asked me, they're like, do you buy into the whole fact that Belichick's going to tank, that the Patriots are going to tank to get that number one pick with Trevor? I'm like, no, no. Belichick is not that guy. You you need to hire a different coach if that's what you want because he's going to win football games. Um, But so Asi Asi, I just don't know what quarterback he's going to have. Like I liked Jared Siddham during the draft process. I thought he was a fine quarterback, especially for what the Patriots need him to do. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to watch him play this year because if he can step in and play that role, you know, not to say he's never going to live up to Tom Brady's shoes, but if he can run a competent offense, Belichick always has his team prepared. Yeah, I think you're right. There's no way their defense is too good and Belichick's too smart of a coach for them. Worst case scenario, still find their way to seven or eight wins, I think, yep. you know, and, and I still wouldn't even be stunned if he finds a way to 10 and still wins the division because he just it's not finds a great a to- division. It's still yeah. not a great division. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I think you make the case. I think Cole Komet. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I just don't know if that'll translate to good fantasy production. And let's be honest, after the top five or six tight ends, sometimes like I know I've been just starting getting into best balls for this year. And it's like after the top six or seven tight ends, I don't think there's much difference from like seven or eight to like 20 or 21. It's like almost... Do yourself a favor. Take Hayden Hurst. Get all the Hayden Hurst. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, it's it's kind of stupid to me. I think people are going to wake up. Draft all the Hayden Hurst if you're listening. Yeah, I actually just finished my first best ball, and my tight ends were Hayden Hurst, Chris Herndon, and Irv Smith. And I'm going to take my chances with them. And, you know, and then tying back into Joe Burrow, I'm right there with you. I think all the Bengals guys, and I even think Burrow, and like, you know, like, is it, it's not going to be a guy who's going to be a starting quarterback, but if, to me, he's got high upside for QB2, for as a QB2, and for best ball leagues, I think he's going to have some really spiked weeks because their defense has still got, you know, more developing to do yes. and, and more talent to be added onto it. So I think they're going to put up. Up some points so I think he's a great you know interesting candidate for best ball leagues and I do because of the the health concerns of Tua have a little bit of a separation and it's not this often that a young quarterback comes in the league and is f- surrounded by talented players as Joe Burrow is I mean I know you're a big fan of Mixon I'm a huge fan of Mixon Tyler Boyd's a really good receiver AJ Green probably like you said on his last year but if T Higgins pans out he's got a lot of pieces in place already and, and John Ross and- is still He's, he's he's a player. John Ross can play. Yeah. 
And who's to say who's to say that Burrow's not the quarterback that can bring hit it yes. out of him this year as well? And Miami's got some question marks. I mean, Devontae Parker, we finally saw a little bit of a breakout. Preston Williams was having a nice season last year, but now he's got to come back from a major injury. They still don't have much in the running game, and they still need more weapons and, and better offensive line and, and everything around too as well. So I'm right there with you. Mike, always a blast. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but please let them know where they can follow you. And if there's anything, you know, about the podcast or what you're working on over at the website as well, you want to share, feel free. Oh yeah, no, just follow me on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. That's where I answer a ton of questions. Obviously all my work can be found on fantasypros.com. We do the fantasy pros football podcast and uh, in season, you know, I do the, my, my heart and soul goes into my primer. It's called the primer. Um, it's about 30,000 words every week. It has a paragraph on every player from every game. And, uh, that's what I, I do it because that people consume it. So if you guys go and check it out, I'd be, I'd be forever grateful. Guys, that primer, if you are not familiar with it, it is one of the best resources, you know, for every single week of the NFL season. I have two must read things every single week, you know, during the football season. And Mike's primer is one of them. And if you read that, you're pretty much set up to go for, for that weekend's games of football. So make sure you definitely check it out uh, once we get to the season. So on behalf of Mike, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.